Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Upmerksamhed, <laughs> which is, of course, Danish for achtung, achtung, something that sounds like that. I thought you got, no, you uh, recovered well, there quite well, I thought. Yeah, I had to spin it back round, yeah. Op, yeah, upmerksamhed, upmerksamhed. No, 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 um, Now, we went, with, we went with German last week, of course, and enjoyed England's fine footballing victory that very evening. So why not try and repeat the trick for England's Euro semi-final? Do you watch, I mean, did you watch the Ukraine game? Yeah, obviously, yeah, along with, you know... Well, I don't know, you know... 80% of the country. that... Well, it's just I, fantastic. I, it was like... It, yeah, I mean, it was quite odd, wasn't it? it was oh, it's brilliant. Quite, I, what, what, for us well, to win convincingly? Well, like, to, to completely crush another side. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah quite, it's quite strange, isn't it, as yeah. a sort of experience? Um, I mean, they're saying that 21 yeah. million watched it, but clearly it's more yeah. than that, because that can't, they can't count every single person that was in a, standing outside in a pub. No, no. 
I would watched it in in a in uh, Isleworth in what was probably a rugby pub, and there was there was there were sort of attempts at singing. Um, uh, uh, it's coming home, but like it didn't really pick up. It was really, funny. really, really it's a bit half. Jolly, jolly good, so jolly good. Well done, yeah. well done, chaps. Jolly good. Thugs game. Jolly Always good. really liked Larry <laughs> Tulliu. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's rugby. Sorry. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, uh, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland. First up, James. What did Denmark get up to during the Second World War? <laughs> wow, that's a question and a half. Um, yeah, that, well, they had. I, I don't think they had a bad war, really. All things considered, I, I think they kind of, you know, they they um, they for the most part they they did pretty well. I mean, ninety percent of their ninety percent of their Jews escaped. Yes, that's true. And that and what's interesting about that is that the the, the D- Danish state just didn't cooperate did it no um it 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 simply it down tools and wouldn't cooperate in general wouldn't 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 cooperate with with the nazis on uh handing their jewish population over um which is which is interesting because of course there are other countries where the states very much did cooperate and enthusiastically joined in yeah um but the danes just said no we're not we're not doing that and what's interesting about that is that what that doesn't then result in is uh, the, the the Danish state being lined up and shot, or Google, yep. you know, put in concentration camps and everything? Because they were occupied, but 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 what happens is the Germans re- recognise and re- respect, I suppose, the the way that Denmark chooses to run things internally, which I think is really really interesting. I mean, obviously France o- occupies a different place in the German imagination, doesn't it? Which is which is France is the great en- a- adversary. Whereas Denmark isn't, maybe Denmark's like a kind of lost tribe of Germany in their thinking. But the point is, they let the German, they let the Danish state get on with it. Uh, Timothy Snyder talks about this in his books about how, you know, that the, the Polish state collapses sort of twice over. So there's a vacuum, and the Germans can do whatever they want because there isn't any any proper pushback from any kind of authority. Whereas in Denmark, the government remains intact. And is actually allowed to call the shots, and the Nazis let them get on with it, which I think is really, really interesting. You know that it's not monolithic. Yeah, I mean, I think we should say say that you know Denmark gets invaded on the 9th of April, the same time as as Norway, um, in yeah. a kind of two pronged attack. Well, three pronged attack actually, because they used use Falschenjäger paratroopers. They um, invade from the south, you know, which obviously is just the, yeah. the narrow. You know, Denmark kind of slips up this, yeah. this little kind of narrow peninsula that kind of slips up to the north yeah. of um, Germany. Slavery, Holstein, and all that. Holstein, all the rest. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and they go through southern Ger- southern Denmark, which had been southern Germany until 1919. And then they go from uh, there's an amphibious invasion as well, and there's a Falschmjäger. Uh, they go in at kind of about four fifteen in the morning, and it's literally all over in very quick order. And that's because yeah. they've they've declared themselves neutral at the start of the war, but they've also decided that you know they can't fight this, so they're not going to. But they've they've done quite a lot of provisions to make sure that they're sort of okay. And as you say, Germany lets them sort of be themselves. So it's like, it's like Vichy France, but over the whole of Denmark. So they're self-governing as long as they kind of sort of toe the line. But they do toe the line, but only kind of sort of loosely. It's really quite interesting, uh, as you're saying. And it's not until the end of August 1943 that Germany occupies Denmark and imposes military rule. And that's when the Holocaust hits Denmark, because no sooner have they done that, then they decide they're going to, the Germans decide that they're going to round up all the Danish Jews. What's really interesting, though, is there is no plan beforehand from 
the Danish government or the king, King Christian X, to do anything about the uh, about the Jews. But the moment that word gets, basically, the, the Germans obviously tell the Danes what they're going to do, and that is leaked. And so around the country, spontaneously, non-Jewish Danes decide to help the Jews. And, it, and it's just a completely spontaneous thing. It's, it's, it's not really planned. And of course, what they do is they, they, you know, Sweden at its closest is only three miles away. So, I mean, lots of places is a lot further than that. But but what they do is they take these, you know, it's, it's basically like asylum seekers um, crossing the channel. You know, they get and jump into their boats and whatever they can go and they, and they escape. And 90% of them get away. I mean, it's really, it's really, really interesting. And they're in, in Sweden, they're able to claim asylum and there's absolutely no issue about it whatsoever. So... The interesting thing about the Holocaust is is that it is pan-European in so much that most people, most other countries well, collaborate, but they don't in Denmark. And that's why just that's say, why Denmark can kind of hold its head up and hold its head up proudly on this one. That timing is very interesting. It's late 43, <clears> because we've talked about how by late 43, if you're, if you're you know, uh, Nazi top brass, you know time's running out. So, right. so and it points to the fact that that one of the Nazi war aims is genocide. Yep. So they're thinking, well, while the war's still going, we need to get our hands on the Jews in Denmark. Uh, and that they haven't done yep. it before then because they don't think they're losing necessarily. They think things are kind of going OK. I think that timing is really, really, really interesting yep. and really, really uh, points to motive, you know, points to motive and to who's in on the who's in on this this, this kind of decisions, uh, these kind of decisions, because there's no way that that. Um, demanding that handing the Denmark hands its Jews over hasn't come right from the very, very top of of the Nazi state. So, I mean, I mean that just that timing in itself. Well, yeah, think about it. You, you know, it, it tells it's, you an awful it's, lot. It's 12. I mean, it's 29th of August is when they when they um, take military occupation. That's that's 12 days after the end of the Sicilian campaign. It's kind of, yeah. you know, 10 weeks after the end of um, eight weeks after the end of of um, uh, Kursk. You know, yep. they're rebuilding the dams. Yeah. They're thinking they're planning Operation Axis, which is the kind of um, occupation of Italy and, and the Aegean and yeah. Greece and the Balkans. So it's all part of that that bigger picture, isn't it? I mean, it is interesting. I mean, you know, you know, a number of of Danes do go and join the the Waffen SS and the Danish Free Corps, and and you know, two thousand of them die on the Eastern Front. Most of those who join up are from what was Germany until nineteen nineteen. Yeah, um, there's, there's, there's very there's a bit of crossover. But, but, this crossover, but it's interesting how the but the, the the Danish state, nevertheless, sort of um, essentially resists. Well, there's a there's an absolutely brilliant bit where um where Hitler in October 1942 sends a lengthy letter to King Christian, flattering him and wishing him you know all the very best for the birthday and what a great chap he is and how wonderful it is of the Danish monarchy and blah blah blah, and, and King Christian basically writes, "Cheers, thanks, King Christian." <laughs> I mean, it's, it's basically you know, it's like many thanks, you know, Christian X, Rex, or okay, whatever. Thanks, bye. Yeah, yeah thanks, yeah. bye. <laughs> and Hitler just goes absolutely apeshit, right? Because he's been so slighted by this, right. and, and I think it's absolutely brilliant. You know, King Christian was is never ever kind of pro Nazi. Yeah, and also yeah. a number, you know, well, the a lot of um, a lot of um, Danish sailors. You know, fly with the um, merchant navy, British merchant navy. Number of Danish ships. You know, so they 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 do their bit. They 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 play it really quite well. It's 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 interesting. And also, there's growing resistance 
to the occupation inevitably um and, and you know there's, there's there's quite serious fighting in the streets you know particularly sort of april may 1945 i mean 6000 I mean, danes are sent to concentration camps so it's not but it's denmark it's denmark denmark sort of uh, situation though isn't it lots of big lots of big powerful neighbors you know what well, you know you say sweden's only next door well you know at one point sweden was the was the, the you know throughout their history they've had to deal with massive Adolfo, powerful all that neighbors exactly like who throw their who tend to throw their weight around yeah um and they're the, the sort of meat in the sandwich so i expect a lot of that is the danes the danes are used to having to deal with big powerful neighbors and want to retain their autonomy as best they can yeah i mean it's just it's it's absolutely fascinating though that 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 they do manage to sort of essentially resist the holocaust yeah um, i think it's uh, absolutely amazing i mean you know, given their job- situation you know the, the germans the germans could have pressed harder yeah, uh, I mean, jog, geography unquestionably goes goes to their aid, but it is still significant that they they show that you don't have to kind of sort of massively collaborate, that you don't have to kind of toe the line on the Holocaust and all the rest of it. And it also kind of slightly implies that, well, it, it very strongly implies that you don't have to be... Well, the, the lot of other European sh- um, nations and their response to the kind of Holocaust was to show their kind of basic innate anti-Semitism, which I don't think you get, obviously, in Denmark. And I think they, you know, they hold their head up for that. They're really interested in the Second World War, Danes. I mean, it's really interesting. They sell a lot of books out there and stuff. And, you know, they, they, right. they hoover right. up large numbers of Second World War documentaries. And they've also got the most fantastic bit of... Um, of Atlantic Wall, and I remember going to see these bunkers up there on the on the um, on the North Sea coast. And um, after the war, they got you know a whole lot of them just got there was a really bad winter and um, a, a forty five, forty six, or something like that. And there were huge storms, and these bunkers just got completely covered in sand. And they've only comparatively recently been uncovered. And there was loads and loads of crap in there, you know, sort of sten- you know, not stand guns, um, you know, MP forties and radio equipment and all sorts of stuff I, I remember doing that when i was doing that that absolutely nonsense but was that a nazi megastructure no 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 that was hunting hitler and I, I was with this guy he used to be a kind of former presidential bodyguard and uh and you know jim when i look around this place uh, this is the kind of place i could see a top-ranking nazi official hiding out <laughs> it's all i got to say it's great <laughs> really funny i was sort of thinking Mm. To me, it's just like a bit of concrete that really achieved very little. But you know, okay, whatever, <laughs> whatevs. <laughs> it's oh, really fantastic. funny. But yeah, I think, and also the other thing about, but you know, um, you know, Roland White, who came on to talk about Harry Air Eight Hundred Nine. Yeah, yeah. Okay, his yeah. next book is the Aarhus Air Raid, which was in ah. October nineteen forty four, when mosquitoes, a hundred, was it twenty four mosquitoes of one hundred forty wing? Yeah. Part of Second yeah. Tactical Air Force, they um, they did a raid on the Aarhus um, University campus, which was yes. the headquarters yeah. of the Gestapo in Copenhagen, and they yeah. did a yeah, precision yeah. bombing attack, which was ninety percent precise, and and thirty nine Gestapo agents killed, and a further twenty kind of soldiers, and and it is considered to be the kind of you know the most accurate raid that the RAF. What? But what was? To the war. I mean. Is this the the point of the war where basically, well, we can do that, so we'll do that? What's the point? What's the point of a thing like that, really? Don't know. Knock out lots of secret agents, make your life easier. I, I suppose. Yeah, but is it also not like undermine it? Help, help the help the Danish resistance. Yeah, 
you know. 39 IQ Star Parade, that's quite a lot. I suppose. Did you see the story in the Times about how oh, yeah. Bomber Harris didn't, li- didn't like... Yeah, that's Will Ardell. Will Ardell. He, Will is yeah. um, the guy who's trying to get us to, to talk to um, Keith Quilter, the, guy, the um, Corsair pilot out in the Pacific. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah, we yeah, must still yeah. try and do. I'd love yeah, to go it, talk to uh, him. But he's a nice uh, fellow, the Will. Thing is, the thing is, there is, a me- there is a memo about... There is a memo about absolutely anything with Harris going, I don't like it! Whatever it is. <laughs> Spitfire, like, rubbish name. Rubbish name. You could you could just... Lancaster. What oh, sort of idiot calls it a Lancaster? Why yeah, isn't exactly. he called a Harris? <laughs> I mean, he, what does he say? Uh, he says, uh, the word mosquito is connected in the minds of the public with an insect which produces an irritating but normally not particularly effective sting. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's got a point, to be honest. Well, he has, but like... Because, because the mosquito you know, no longer like, means... I know, you know, when you think... When, when someone says mosquito, it depends where I am. But, I mean, if I'm lying in bed in the water, you know, above the watercress beds here in Broadchalk on an August evening, then I'm thinking... Yeah, I'm thinking that. But otherwise, I'm thinking... Yeah. Amazing flying machine. <laughs> so it's sort of become to mean something, hasn't it? But when it first came out, you know, mosquito, really? I mean, yeah, yeah. It's very funny though. And it's uh, really in, funny. In, this is February nineteen, February nineteen forty-five. Yeah. In a top secret memo to Air top Vice secret. Bennett. Top secret. There's nothing more secret than than Harris <laughs> whinging about <laughs> the name of mosquito. <laughs> exactly. The commander of the RAF Elite Pathfinder Force in nineteen forty-five. He added, "For some time, this headquarters has endeavoured to impress upon the public generally that mosquito raids are most serious matters for the enemy, and as a consequence, have attempted to have the word mosquito omitted whenever possible from communiques." <laughs> It's just brilliant, isn't it? Uh, uh, brilliant. Fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. yeah, he didn't like the name Pathfinders either. He didn't like the Pathfinders <laughs> full stop. Start off with. <laughs> I just love it. Um, uh, anyway, there's always, but there is. There's a lot he didn't top, like, let's face it. Yeah, there's a top seat. There is a top secret Harris memo for all occasions. <laughs> it's your birthday. Birthdays are rubbish. <laughs> yeah, I don't like them and I don't want them to be used again ever. <laughs> you will reap what you sow. <laughs> That's uh, Bo- Bomber Harris Agrams. Yeah, I reckon we should patent that. I reckon we, we <laughs> could be on the side. That's not a bad idea, is it? <laughs> it's your anniversary. Anniversaries are a distraction from the main target. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could do one of those sort of little memes, can't you? Of sort of picture of yeah. Harris. You know that you, there's that app now where yeah, you can, yeah, where you can get still yeah. photos to move. Yeah. <laughs> it's your it's your birthday. It's a distraction from the main effort on Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> you want a different you want a different type of birthday cake, you panacea monger. <laughs> That's what it is. Fantastic. Uh, oh, oh, we've got some new... We've got some new... So what will happen is one of our um, amazing followers on Twitter will mock it up. That's they what will, will happen. They will. It'll be, it'll we'll be, it'll be will. on Twitter by five o'clock tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> right, now, firstly, uh, we've got some, I've got to do a bit of uh, admin, some news here. Firstly, we've got a, a new audiobook starting next Monday. So um, uh, that's, uh, what, the 12th of July yep. um, on the members' site. It's Arnhem Lift by Louis Hagen, and it's a cracker. Yes, Arnhem, so sue me. It's only short, a couple of hundred pages, but as good an account of the glider boys at Arnhem as you'll hear. Hagen was a Jewish refugee who ended up flying gliders for the British, uh, mainly because he hated all the... He's one of these classic examples of... He he went from pillar to post in the army and hated all of it, and then saw the... You know, classic glider pilot in this respect, um, uh, in the Pioneer Corps, all that, saw the glider pilot, thought, oh, glider pilot regiment, thought, I fancy a bit bit of that, that looks like an adventure. 
Anyway, so he gets his adventure. Um, his ability to speak him speak German, of course, made him hugely useful to the forces trapped at Oosterbeek. He did a lot of eavesdropping. Um, and he wrote the account in the months immediately after the battle. So it's basically in, it's in the now. You know, October, October, November that year. So it's right in the now. And then, of course, the, um, the regiment tries to get it banned. This book is a total disgrace. The regiment an absolutely disgusting sort of thing. Um, now, that starts next Monday. So July 12th on the members site, our Patreon, which is, of course, patreon.com slash we have ways. That's Patreon spelt P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash we have ways. Six pounds a month or seven dollars fifty in the US of A or 65 Norwegian kroner, which we now know because <laughs> Eva Leiter joined up last Wednesday. See, welcome, Eva. Welcome yeah, yeah, aboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We have Viking borders there. Um, if you're planning to come to the We Have Ways Festival in September, good news reached us this morning. The brilliant Katja Hoyer has confirmed her presence and has agreed to tell us all about the immediate post-war years. The title, After Hitler, Germany, 1945 to 1949. Um, which I, I, can, like? I think what is not too like. If you haven't booked tickets and you want to come, please don't wait any longer. There are 37 left as of this morning. Just 37? Can you believe it? So, um, I'm... yeah. I'm, Ticket to I'm... distraction from the main effort. <laughs> Panacea mongers. Panacea mongers. Yeah. So, we're going to try and nail down that. Um, I mean, we've been sort of drips and drabbing the um, the programme, but I think we're going to sort of get on top of it this week. So, that's exciting. Um, but you've, you've been having fun, haven't you, this past week? Yes, I've been filming a thing that, um, strictly speaking, hasn't been announced yet and then um yeah no one cares come on it's fine but people, well no but the, the you know you're the never allowed to post on twitter it. at the time are you which is so stupid because it's it's, it's well, good to kind of well yes and our guest last week the he has he the idea that they're going to be able to stop him um for posting things on his instagram anyway it doesn't matter um but we did stuff about waterloo and we did i, I, I will get I, at some point when i'm allowed to i'll say what this show is and who it's for and all that but we'd have done stuff about waterloo and we did stuff about trafalgar last week and I was struck by all sorts of things. Um, I mean, you know, first of all, we, did, we talked about the artillery quite a lot. And, you know, six pounder guns. Yeah. Uh, uh, that, that are an essential part of um, Wellington's uh, uh, artillery. He has a battery of about 140. He has, he's up, he has a total of about 140 guns, 141 guns, maybe, at, at Waterloo. And he's got the heavy six pounder and the light six pounder. And basically the difference is... It's the same weight projectile, but one is a much more powerful gun, so it can chuck the ball further, or the or the you know shot, or the shrapnel because they have got shrapnel and they do have an exploding shell by this point, right? Although it's all it's all muzzle loading, which uh, which you know just the, that is so interesting that that, mm. that no one's got to breach loading yet. Um, but the thing I was really struck by at Waterloo, first of all, is. Um, you know, when people talk about the bloodiest day of the British Army and all that sort of thing being the first day of the Somme, for instance, or when you look at the casualty rates in Normandy, you know, a hell of a lot of people get killed in one day at Waterloo. Um, it, 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 it's, what is the number? It, it's well, they don't, they don't, well, they don't really know, you know, and they don't know. Is it like twenty thousand, really something like that? I think, I, I think, I think it might be twenty-five, something like thirty thousand. But they don't. The truth is, they don't really know because it's unsure really how many men are there um uh the british are outnumbered or the british coalition forces after all because really the other thing is it's a german army um with a british general and uh and then british contingent so it's it's proper it's not even duke i don't know what we i don't know what we call it um uh anglo-german 
Anglo-German. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but we want We've to We've been friends most Jim. of the time. Okay, well, we can do that. I know, I know. But, but anyway, no, but it's very interesting. But anger. what I was really... What I, anger. Anger. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> or it's Prang, isn't it? It's Prussian, <laughs> Anglo. It's Prang forces. Right? Yeah. It's a Prussian-Anglo alliance. It's Prang. Right? Um, uh, I prefer oh, anger, I've got to say. Well, anger is better, yeah. Um, anger, yeah, okay. Or Pranger. Um, so, so um, but anyway, what's really interesting about it is, what, so what does, what does, what battle does Wellington fight at Waterloo? What he d- does is he create, he uses his defensive set pieces, which are well established and well within his army's capabilities. Yeah. So he doesn't try anything. His army isn't troops behind the behind either. the ridge line. Yeah, but but it's but it's the uh, it's the mentality, right? Lots He's of thinking, guns. Well, I've I've got a tactically lively enemy here who does things in a certain way. So I'm going to let him get on with doing things in a certain way, and I will I will feed him into my meat grinder or allow himself to feed him into my meat grinder and I will destroy him. Yeah. Now that is not unlike <laughs> Epsom. Epsom. I mean obviously the difference is is that 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 the allies in Normandy are always having to uh, having to make the first move as it were. But in a way Wellington settling himself down on the reverse slope at at um at at Waterloo is very much like right I've made my move here to block you to get you where you want to. Now what are you going to do? And Napoleon, you know, they came at us in the same old way, and they, you know, and, they, and we saw them off in the they same. Come way. They come at they arrive in their columns, don't they? And there's no answer to that because yep, it means that they're, yep. they're narrowing the square, their fire because they're yep. coming up against against ro- the squares and or or rows. Yeah, and they're yeah. hiding themselves yeah. until the last minute, and they're yeah. also firing firing howitzers, aren't they? Kind of you know um, yeah. um, field guns over the top of the indirect ridge, fire, indirect yeah, yeah. fire. Yeah, yeah, it's and they've got loads and loads of sharpshooters who are better than the. French sharpshooters. But it's just that thing of, like, and it really made me think about, you know, like, you know, the, the, the British army thinks, right, okay, what are we going to reach the point where they know what they're capable of so yeah. they don't try doing things they're not capable of, right? So, you know, the, the fact that the fact that, that the Scots Grace charge and it's kind of, it's a debacle basically shows that's the English, that's the British army's, the anger's weakness is its cavalry really isn't, Really isn't particularly well organised, or no, it's this artillery and infantry and sharpshooters, the light light so infantry that's the combi- winners. Combined op- like combined operations, in other words, and the, but but it's the mentality of you set a thing up for the enemy to 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 smash itself into and destroy itself, and you rely on, in fact, you rely on how the French fight to destroy them in the way that in Normandy, for instance, you're relying on the Germans to counterattack, yeah, so that you can shell them. Um, when they form up to counterattack, and you use you basically use attacking them as a way of forcing them, flushing them into their yeah. old tactical habits, and destroying them accordingly. And I, I, I was I was really struck by that. Yeah, it's not fascinating. As like as a deep echo, you know. And and obviously, obviously, in the end, there is only so many ways you can fight. But but I think it's interesting that you know that obviously Montgomery and everyone in the British Army would have been a huge student of Wellington's. And a huge student of how Wellington won the Peninsula War, and then how he wins at Waterloo. Yeah, and the, it's, it's firepower of... and not trying to be too clever. Yeah, I mean, it's... Fun, funny enough, it's, it's actually in, in a way it's more like slim, isn't it? I mean, at Infall, that's what he does. I mean, you know, he, yes, he, is, he yeah. says, "Come to me, baby." Yeah, and, and then as they get closer, they get destroyed. Yeah, yeah, 
and the thing of square, which is that basically you you have a defensive you have a defensive thing for the counter attack that com- that completely that 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 plays totally to your strengths and exploits massively your enemy's weakness in that situation. Well, the thing that's really yeah. interesting is did you I mean is is that there was no universal drill in the British Army until 1792. Yeah. So yeah, what you would have all... is you'd have these regiments and they'd all the regiments would you know that they'd, they'd all agree across the army that you would retreat behind that hill or advance forward or whatever. But how you did it was up to that particular regiment or brigade or whatever. There was that's no universal tactic. Right, yeah, but Alstrad got a bit mad. Um, uh, uh, yeah, unfettered Alstrad tactic. But 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 in but but in 1792, this Scottish guy, I can't remember what his name is. He he introduces this kind of sort of universal drill, and it gets adopted in uh, immediately, and then then reinforced, and I think 1795 or six or something like that. And that is the moment where the British army goes, okay, right, we're now going to have universal drill, and that's going to get us into squares, that's going to get us into lines of two or three, that's going to get us to to move en masse, we'll be able to do things across the board, and everything will be consistent, everything... And, of course, what that does is it brings discipline, but it also brings uniformity. And, actually, with uniformity comes tactical flexibility, interestingly. You would think perhaps that wouldn't be the case, but it is. And, And I think it's just absolutely fascinating that it's not until then. So even yeah. despite the kind of new model army, you know, in 1645 or something. Yeah, but when you consider that regiments... They don't have that. But when you consider regiments are named after their colonels and that they're, you know, they're run as private commissions, essentially. And, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, l- l- little wonder there's there's any, you know, there's any, there's not a general grip on how things are done. But that's, I mean, John Keegan talks about that. It's to do with musketry and that drill is to do with getting your, getting your firepower more organised. Yeah. And that, that you've and and to make it safer as well, so that you're not all shooting at each other and all that sort of thing. That it's it's about it's about actually finally shaking that down and having that ready. Um, but but, but also I mean, it's the, but it's the same principle as the battle schools that Alexander yeah, does. Yeah. If you have yeah, these yeah. simple commands that you know what to do, because yeah. it's, it was really interesting just at, at Chalk Valley a couple of weeks ago. I mean, you know, just with with I don't know twenty people, twenty, 20 um, Napoleonic kind of riflemen, the amount of smoke. Just from that yeah. is incredible. Then yeah. add in sort of you know loads of six pounders and hundreds of them and yeah. all the and, and yeah. thousands of muskets and thousands of rifles. Yeah. You can see why you literally do have the fog of war. So that that discipline, that order, that sense of that you know okay, I know that along this little bit that I'm I'm moving where I need to move, and that yeah. I'm doing what I need to do, and that is happening uniformly across the whole front. Yeah, that that is so important. But. Uh, actually, I'll spare the thought for after the break because because uh, we stumbled across something else that was very very interesting. Um, uh, we'll see you in a tick. We're going to take a break now. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland. Um, but but so to continue on, because <laughs> this thought this thought this was the thing that was really 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 interesting. So we worked with some reenactors. We were some reenactors last week. Living historians. Yeah, and they were great. Um, particularly the French, the French crew, right? Because we would talk to them about. Because one of the things you talk about is why. What? A, how does the French army work compared to the the, the English army? Yeah, the English army they're on a penny. They're on a penny a week or whatever. And and, and they're the scum of the earth and all that, right? That according to Wellington. Yeah. The French army they are citizens, right? And this is the thing we've talked about with relation. The Second World War. They're citizens. 
they're mobilized by the fact that 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 the French state offers them liberté, fraternité, égalité, and all that sort of stuff, and that there are there are revolutionary army who are who are buying a stake in their citizenship by being soldiers, right? Yeah, which is miles away from the motivation <laughs> yes. that 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 um you know that Wellington's kind of relying on, which is posh officers and uh scum of the earth. you know and all uh, scum of the earth and also but then also talk, speaks of our relationship you know the, the the relationship that we've had we have traditionally had in this country with the army that's obviously changed in the last 100 years you know with the first world war the second world war yeah. and then you know seen it change enormously actually in the last 20 years with the afghan war yeah. you know that that sudden sort of change in commemoration and all that sort of stuff and but 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 that was really really fascinating the, the french reenactors they were like it was really funny because 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 they'd get into no no Napoleon was all right actually he was a good bloke he was doing you know he, he was a true he was a true revolutionary who was trying to change the world for the better and you and, and I'm like ah oh, come on the, oh bony just, you're in a laugh yeah, yeah exactly but it's just really really interesting because they because they really that that really because they would they take it all very seriously and that really cast light on some of the I mean I'm sure not all French soldiers are motivated for those reasons but it really cast light on that idea of what the motivation might be and how that might work and you know it's a thing we've talked about a lot is that you know that 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 there are different things motivating different people in different ways during the second world war in all of the combatant nations um, but for the French and the Napoleon who like it's a revolutionary army that was uh, I was really struck by that yeah. Anyway, they, and then and were they we French? About, no, they weren't. They were all English. So it was what? kind of like, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and then, and then I we literally did, cannot um, think what would make an English person, a British person, who's a living historian, <laughs> want to be a Frenchman in the Napoleon Army. Well, because they believe in the Fre- they they think the French Revolution is a progressive force, and the and the British Empire, um, you know, anger is a is a regressive force at the time politically, which I think is quite yeah, the, well, yeah, you know. But- I mean, and then we talked about how great it was that it's 200 years ago, so it doesn't matter anymore. We can argue about it sort of um, uh, without anyone getting upset. Yeah, De, de Gaulle um, can write a history of the Napoleonic Wars without mentioning Waterloo, etc., etc. And then we talked, and then we talked about Trafalgar, and and uh, I was really struck by Trafalgar. You know that thing of um, uh, Nelson breaking the line. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing, isn't it? From the, really from the from the from the stern, isn't it? Straight through, and all the shards yeah, so, of wood. Yeah, so that yes, they're all they're all they're all the the the, the and, and you, allied and you, and you, fleet. You come in like that, don't you? You come in yeah. at ninety degrees. Yeah, you come in through it, and then you fire a broadside down the length of the it. other gut from down the back. The, yeah, down his down his stern, basically. It's vulnerable and stern. Six hundred casualties or something with that first broadside. Yeah, amazing. Um, basically, basically knock, knocking that crew over. I mean it. It, but it really reminded me. It's a schwerpunkt. Yeah. It's, um, it, it, it's and two fisted you know, as well. A two fisted schwerpunkt, but also it's that thing. You know, it's victory's the head, the biggest ship they've got. They send it in first. The admiral goes in first. He's leading for the from the front, which is I think really, which is also really striking. But yeah. it really, it really reminded me. You know, and obviously the French, the French fleet is tacking uh, with the with the wind with the wind to its. Uh, Port beam, I think. Right. So he's sailing that away, and the English English are running with the wind behind them down yep. onto the down onto the French fleet. So the moment they the moment the English break the line, whoever's um, uh, to the English port, you know, the front of the French fleet has to tack around the wind before it can re-engage in battle, while the English fleet gets on with kicking the 
Kicking seven their bells out of what what's left of the French fleet. Yeah. It's very, very clever. And it really reminded me of um, the Ardennes Schwerpunkt. Because yeah. what do you do? You apply a maximum of force to somewhere where you know that, the, you know, the basic the French are stuck, can't mobilise, aren't mobile enough to respond to that. You break in, you get in behind them, and then you roll them up. And it, and it, and it, you look at it on the map, although it is a two-fisted thing at Trafalgar, like you say, you look at it on the map, same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That concentration of force, that thing of exploiting the exploiting yep. basically the enemy's commitment to the to um to, to, to and its way of doing things. Yeah, because Villeneuve's just trying to he's trying to bugger off. He's trying to uh, like avoid this exact confrontation. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, fascinating. Really, really interesting. I can't remember what happens to Villeneuve. He di- he he dies not long he's after. He's captured. He's captured. He's taken back to England. He goes to he goes to Nelson's funeral. Yes, but he doesn't. But he doesn't uh, live very. Uh, he doesn't, he doesn't reach old bones, does he? I don't he? think. I don't think so. He's but. But he's basically bought off. I think by the time you know he's nicked and brought, and he was about to be replaced. And one of the reasons he's making one of the reasons he's he's you know it's argued that one of the reasons he's leaving Harbour in the Cadiz in the first place is because he's trying to avoid his replacement turning up, taking his place. <laughs> <laughs> Napoleon has sent someone to replace him, oh, so brilliant. he's he's bug, buggering off. Anyway. Um, Yes, but Sven Hassel was Danish, wasn't he? The yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. hard-boiled author of uh, my childhood, certainly. You re- you got through yeah. a few of them, did you? Uh, I think one or two. There was a fashion for reading them at school when I yeah. was sort of um, sort of twelve, I think. Mm. They were properly hard-boiled, you know. Yeah. Um, they. I mean, there was a, there was um, so there was a guy in my scandal was, around it, wasn't there? There was a guy in my house at school called Dom Hodges. Yeah, uh, and he used to. He was just an ardent Sven Hassel acolyte. And and he'd he'd read them all the time, and I just remember they always had, they always had the SS runes in the hassle, yeah, and yeah. and they always had sort of you know, bit dodge, sort of bits of skeleton and snow with blood yeah. and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. What? Well, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to look up his book titles on Wikipedia. That's what I'm going to do right now. Okay, because they're, they're Legion of the Damned and all that. Isn't it? <laughs> Is um, it? I've got to yeah, admit, yeah, I've yeah, never yeah. ever read one. Uh, I think yeah, I read Tony a couple has, of them, hasn't he? T- 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 Legion Tony of the Legion. Here we go. Legion of the Damned, the Wheel Wheels of Terror, Comrades of War, March Battalion, Assignment Gestapo, <laughs> Monte Cassino, the Beast Regiment, Liquidate Paris, SS General. It's a bit on the nose. Reign of Hell, Blitz Freeze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> the t- bloody t- road. T- Tony's just tweeting that uh, he he loved the Legion of the Damned. <laughs> the bloody I'm road to death. Maybe I should read one. <laughs> <laughs> but he but but he was he was you know there was controversies to whether he'd been in the Dutch SS uh, the Danish SS rather and whether he'd been a um uh, a Hilfspolizei and all that sort of thing and um and or whether he'd made it all up or you know actually where he uh you know where he fits because they're all the first I think the first couple of books are sort of first person narrative to say oh this happened to me oh anyway, really yeah, yeah. I don't think I'll be doing any Sven Hassel as an audio book. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> he only died in 2012. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Barcelona, Spain. Appar- Apparently, Liquidate Paris starts with a group of German tank boys stood on the French coast contemplating trying to swim to England. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Sven Hassel uh, website. Inevitably. <laughs> That's just you wonder who's on it, though. That's the problem, isn't it? You wonder, I mean... Anyway, um, I'll tell you what. Should we do some questions now? We've now we've. Oh, uh, look at Rain of Hell. 
have a look at honestly have a look at this web this website it's absolutely amazing okay so if anyone who wants to he also wants to look at it it's spenhassel.com there's a really gruesome picture yeah this is what i remember but but they look different then but but it's that kind of skulls and nazis and swastika yes the, the, these look these at rain are, of hell yes. yes that's a bit iron maiden isn't it very <coughs> wonder where they got it from legion of the damned is yeah, strong yeah. strong look if that's your that's that, your bag yeah, isn't crikey, it that is a very that's a very strong look if that's your bag yeah <laughs> yeah uh yeah i mean the, these covers are a bit more cartoony than bio let's see if it mentions it <laughs> interestingly it, he chose to join <laughs> but even in germany sven was unable to find a job and had to revert hmm. back to what he'd already come to know the military. He chose to join the German army, the Wehrmacht, as a volunteer in 1938. He volunteered. For he the initially Wehrmacht. enrolled in the Second Panzer Regiment and later the 11th and 27th Panzer Regiment, both in the Sixth Panzer Division. In fact, it was unsu an unsuccessful attempt to desert the army. You'll find this story in the books. That got Sven to serve in the Penal Battalion for the 27th. Mm. Sounds to me like he's a bit yeah. keen to me. It's, I mean, you're volunteering to join the Wehrmacht in 1938 when you're not from Germany. You know, you're just saying. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm gonna, I, might, I might read one one of these days. Right, just so okay. much to read, well, isn't we... that's a problem? Well, How, has yeah, your, yeah, has your yeah, copy yeah. of Absolute War turned up yet? Yeah? Oh. That <laughs> is a monstrous book. Yeah, 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 but you can... You can I mean... You, but, Okay, All right, but, there's but 200 pages. There's 200 pages of footnotes. The footnotes, yeah, but it's, it's much easier to read than you would imagine. And if you start at kind of page, you know, you can sort of skim through all the first. No, I bit. picked it. I've picked. I've picked it up and 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 you know, flicked through. This is absolute war we're talking about by Chris Bellamy. Soviet Russia in the Second World War. It's a pan-military classic. If you, um, if you, oh no, if you, if you, you, you can go from kind of chapter 11 to 18, and that's all you need to know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can miss all the first you know, bit. It's, it's I, I, absolutely brilliant. I don't doubt it, but it's a whole lot of book. And then I also have um, uh, this, All In Fighting. Yeah, yeah that's so good, isn't the it? The Fairbairn oh, Attack with a Small I'm, Stick or Cane, continued, figure 91. Yeah. There you go. Um, that's Yeah, that's, no, no, it's really good. Great, there's some great pictures in here. Called, Japanese called Strangle. Get, get Tough in America. Yeah, Hair Hold from Behind. Um, th that hair hold from behind is what you is what you think it is. Basically, you grab the guy's hair. Yeah. Um. Uh. uh I mean, uh, and this is because of foreign fields demonstration. Uh, of uh, there was a, there know. was a bit of chat about this on which you put up on on Twitter the other day, and then, and then yeah. someone said to me, "Yeah, and by the way, what, what you know, what is your opinion of the commando knife?" <laughs> <laughs> well, last time I stabbed someone in the kidneys with it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very good. It's 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 interesting. This though, um, uh, it's really interesting. Uh, the question may well be asked: Why should I trouble to learn this roughhouse method of fighting? You know, we wish to make it clear that there is no intention of belittling boxing, wrestling, or rugby football. It's a, a gentlemanly <laughs> approach to thuggish behaviour. It's fantastic. But I've yeah, like you say, there's a lot. There's lots to read. Should we do some questions though? Now then, um, uh, how about this for a question to start off? Uh, the week, although you know we're hard, at least halfway through an episode, we're not barely starting. It's halfway through, um, you're on forty-one minutes already. <laughs> exactly. Well, half ninety percent complete. Um, uh, uh, question: This is from Tom Porter. Question regarding the World War Two versus Second World War nomenclature debate. 
Is there a debate? I don't think so. To play devil's advocate for a moment, isn't there a good argument for using the phrase World War Two, even though you guys hate it, especially to describe the European theatre? I'm thinking about the fact that Hitler, at least, definitely saw the war as a continuation of the Great War. So I suppose the serious question is, to what extent can the Second World War in Europe be regarded as unfinished business from the First World War? Loving the pod, Tom Porter. Well... It's Churchill, if, in English at least, who first calls it a world war, isn't it? Yeah. In his in, 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 in between the wars, calls the first world, calls the Great War a world war, describes yeah. it as a world war, and then he calls it the second one when it comes along the Second World War quite quickly, doesn't he? He's into yeah. that pretty much straight away. Yeah. Um, which I suppose is a reflection, in a way, of the fact that it, it is unfinished business. Because some people talk about the Seven Years' War, don't they, as being the first world war. Because yeah. it, it happens all over the world. Yeah. It doesn't involve all of the world, but it happens all over the world. I, mean, yes. I suppose that's the, the, the difference. Yeah, it, really, it, really, it really does, the, the Seven Years' War. It really go, it does cross oceans. It happens all, literally all over the world. But it's, but, it's, but it's not, you know, there's nowhere near as many um, combatants or countries involved, no. are there? Uh, no. Uh, it, it, and then again, that's an imp- like a sort of imperial struggle. Um, I don't know. I I just think you can't call it World War. It's just World War you can, One. You can if you're American. If you're American, it's absolutely fine to call it World War Two. That's that's what they call it. And they call it World War One, World War Two, and that uh, and, and that is absolutely fine. But we call it yeah. the Second World War and the First World War. I mean, you know, obviously it was called the Great War until Second World War, as you point out. But, but, that, yeah, but that's like having, you know, you have a first child and a second child, and have child one, child two. Do you? <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> no, but nor do you have one child, two child. I mean, you know, it's, no, it's true. This is true. I mean, it's, great, great child, second child. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, I just, I just think you know, you, you've got to have this, this little bit of kind of. Uh, cultural difference. No, I think not, it's fine. Um, I, I think it's okay. Absolutely. I, I think if you're in it from the start, you get to call it what you want. It's the way I look at it. Um, <laughs> if you're Johnny come lately, that's fine if you want to call it something else. But call it, call it, call it whatever you like, but you're wrong. Um, no, I mean, it is, it, it is though. I think the Second World War, without a doubt, um, if you're German, it's un, it is unfinished business. It is, it is, it's about correcting an outcome you regard as as uh, bogus yeah. for, for all sorts of crazy reasons you regard that outcome as bogus because you know we've, we've talked about this an awful lot the, the Germans have very much lost the First World War by, by, the, by the time the First World War ends that's why they sue for peace because they've lost yeah. you know and the fact and the fact that the fact there is no you know great chase of the German army into Germany proper and, and all the way back to Berlin is actually a measure of how defeated they are is they, they they're not prepared to do that they want to stop before it comes to that yeah uh, uh, uh they can't do it they can't do another winter and so on so but yeah the second world war is very much um and if you took even if i mean you could even look at it if you took the i mean you can't take the geopolitics out of it but even taking on russia and trying to get a restoration of the brest litovsk um peace treaty uh, territorial gains that the, that the central powers get um, out of Lenin, you know, if you look, just look at it in term in those terms, then it is a complete rerun of the the First World War in, in that respect, yep. isn't it? Yeah, you know, and then you season with ad, season with Nazism, and the whole thing's got another and that extra d- dimension. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's but there's absolutely yeah, no question I, that the Second World War is a truly, truly global conflict, even more so than the First yeah. World War. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, substantially more so. I mean, it really does reach every single corner. I mean, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're talking from the Arctic to to the Southern Oceans. I mean, you know, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I mean you, you've, got, you've got naval operations in, in, you know, off the off southern part of South America. You've got yeah. Greenland, Iceland, Arctic Circle. Yeah. You've yeah. got Russia. You've got the Far East. You've got South Pacific. You've got almost every you know you've got considerable numbers of nations in africa yeah middle east yeah yeah across whole of europe north america south yeah. america it really is it's it's absolutely extraordinary there's never been anything like it no and it's tr- and, and that's it why is, it's so fascinating i mean so maybe but maybe maybe you you know you could argue that it, strictly it's the first world war um because the first world war wasn't really a world war that was just a great war <laughs> It's just a great war. But, I mean, after all, the Russians call it the Great Patriotic War, don't they? They're, 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 they don't abide by this um, numbering. Yeah, yeah, but, the, all, but, that, but that's only as far as their own personal experience. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, they're, when they're talking about the Great Patriotic War, they're talking about the Soviet straight Russian part in that. They're not talking about America or... Yeah, but when you go... But when you, I mean, you, you mentioned de Gaulle not mentioning Waterloo in his book about Napoleon. When you go to, um, when you go to the Victory Museum in Moscow... There's quite a small thing about um, yeah. the Western Allies. It's quite small. Really There's small. a sort of panel. Really small. There's a panel yeah. about D-Day. That's that's kind of it. God, talk about museums. I'm having to. I'm doing my. Uh, to, we're, we're trying to kind of work out this. I'm doing this Brothers in Arms exhibition at the National Army Museum in December. Yeah. Blimey, it's difficult because you've got to kind of reduce and reduce and reduce and reduce and reduce and kind of how do you how do you kind of get the key elements in a comparatively small exhibition really tricky so uh, really small print (laughs) very small print with magnifying (laughs) glasses available (laughs) on a chain at every single stand (laughs) what about what about qr codes and you 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 go on a qr code with your phone and you get a page for further information yeah maybe isn't that like a museum thing now yeah maybe we're also trying to work out what little film footage it's been funding all that film footage but uh... yeah 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 yeah. we've got some good stuff though it's that amazing footage of them all on a tiger, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Which I just love. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, should, we do a, should we do another one? This is yep. from Kai. Did the view of the Second World War as a conflict of good versus evil only come about after the war when all the Nazi war crimes were known in full? Or was it a narrative at the time? Mm, that's a really, it really, really ve- good question. But well, it was, it was very much, very much a narrative at the time. Yeah. Um, that some people bought and others didn't. And then when the death camps were revealed... Well, think think about that incredibly prescient speech that Churchill does. I think it's the 18th of June, one, 1940, where he says, "Yeah, you know, we will, you know, we we, you know, if we we, if we hold out now, we will prevail and return to the sunlit uplands. But if not, we will descend into a new dark age made more sinister by the perversions of modern science." I mean, man, he was spot on, wasn't he? You know, yeah. as soon as you hear that, read that, you just think Zyklon B, don't you? I do. Yeah, yeah. But by, but by, but but the other thing is, is if you're a Nazi, it's good versus evil, <clears throat> as well, isn't it? Is their prop? Is it though? Is it? Is it? Is it? Do, do they paint it in quite those terms? I think it's more. It's more. It's not a good versus evil. It's it's more right versus wrong, which is sort of different, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. Their depiction of, their depiction of. Um, uh, you know, no, the, I don't think they do. I think they do it as a kind of sort of Judeo-Bolshevik, Judeo-Bolshevism is regarded as evil. 
that yeah, the Jews so. are an evil force undermining everything and uh, as they see them and, and that, that, that that's who's running America and that's who's running pulling the strings I think very much so although I know although I know although I know what you mean I, I, I yeah I mean it, it's it's not I suppose I suppose what I mean is it's not done on sort of Christian terms is it no no because because they're existing in a not, and, and I suppose my my version. What, what, I suppose what world. I'm doing is I'm succumbing to that kind of Christian view of good versus evil. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I'm coming, I mean, over, all, I'm coming over all Tom well, Holland here. Well, yeah, exactly. Has he got a book out about it? I wonder. <laughs> I mean, it's like um, it's like they're trying. It, it's like well, yes, maybe maybe it's the righteous versus. Because it is presented in sort of messianic terms, Nazism, isn't it? It um, is, but uh, it's also but it's also kind of you know we, we, we have a. We, but it's it's racial as well, isn't it? That's the point. It's yeah. kind of you know, it is our destiny to be the pre, you know, the dominant race, and if we don't yeah. do this, our our race, our kind will 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 be you know thrown out like the Neanderthals or something. You know, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, this is a this is yeah. a matter of life and death, and and yeah. you know, it's it's, yeah. it's an awful business, and of course, it's grim having to kind of murder millions of people, but. But but you know we we have to make this ultimate sacrifice now so that we can yeah. safeguard the future and future generations can yeah. live in perfect Aryan harmony and all this kind of stuff. I mean it's just absolute wibble, obviously, and just sort of yeah. you know, awful. But 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 that is how they're painting, and I, that that is different from a kind of sort of moral crusade, I think somehow. Mm. Yeah, ma- yeah, I don't know. You know I don't know. You think it's, I'm it's, it's, it's hard, isn't it? Because it's hard, isn't it? Because it's easier to put on. The sort of mental clothing of the Allied side, isn't it? Because it, because it's part of our culture, whereas Nazi culture just seems so sort of alien um, in a lot of its assumptions and where its ideas come from and how they're framed. Yeah, it, you know, you, you, you're always having to look at it from the outside, as it were. Yeah, necessarily. Thank God. Thank God. Um, uh, I think we've. Pr- I think we've talk the hind legs off this particular donkey um as our danish friends would say uh favel og held og licker which means uh g- goodbye good luck favel og held og licker i mean i watched i did watch a danish uh crime thriller not so long ago and they basically go while you go to the shops it's like that it's just, <laughs> did you it's ever see that me, that thing that like harriet bonamuda that, that hilarious thing that Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse did, yeah, yeah, they did it in yeah. Scando Noir. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. It was really funny, really funny. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. Farvel Og held Og Looker. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, you, you, I think you just need to kind of sort of run it through a couple of times, and then you're really I just need to it. listen to some Danish people talk for a bit, and then I'll absolutely, I'll absolutely <laughs> pound it. Anyway, thanks everyone for listening. Um, uh, remember, live casts on Monday nights um, on the Patreon, new audiobook. Also, we've never done this because whenever I listen to a podcast, I always think, oh, for Christ's sake. And they normally do it at the start. They go, could you vote for us, please? But there's a British Podcast Awards thing. I don't even know the link. Just Google it. Could Is you it? vote for us, please? When's yeah, that? Yeah, then? yeah, yeah. Around about now. I don't know. This That'd is be nice to get, but I rise above it. Yeah, well, also, the other thing is, the other thing we never, ever... D- Deadline was yesterday. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Never oh, mind. That, that, is, that is us all over. That's the other thing we don't do, is I don't go, please, could you review it and score us five stars on uh, Acast and Apple? We never, we've, yeah. I've listened to so many podcasts where they basically say that every five minutes. No, let, we let, never no, do it. Let's never, ever we, do it. Well, okay, well, we... Well, and the That's one the last time, time we're ever going to mention it. Exactly. One time you ask, it's too late. 
That's brilliant. And we've also we've but we have got uh, well I will advertise those. We've got all sorts of exciting things planned. Yeah. Um, yes. Trips. Loving stuff in the bag as well. That, fast um, boats yeah, at sea and yeah. all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I got a glimpse of L, of uh, the uh, Landcroft tank. Yeah, very sexy. Anyway, we'll see you all soon. <laughs> We're back on Thursdays as usual. Uh, Favalog held Oglucker. <laughs> <laughs> Cheerio.